You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. If you're already a fan of true crime podcasts or documentaries, you are going to love today's guest, Gia Wirtz. And if you're not, but looking or hoping to make a career switch, even to a totally different industry than what you're currently in, today's episode is also for you. Gia is a fashion designer turned true crime filmmaker whose debut film, Conviction, was selected at 12 film festivals around the world, won three awards, and was released on Amazon Prime. After two decades in the fashion industry, Gia decided to follow her passion, go to film school, and pursue filmmaking to help shed light on wrongful convictions and the shortcomings of the criminal justice system. Today on Thrive, she shares her step-by-step process for making a big career switch with practical advice for following your own dream, as well as tips for making authentic connections, since, spoiler alert, she had zero in the film industry, and tips on keeping the course after things seemingly go awry, like when literally all of her initial festival screenings got canceled when COVID hit. Besides now having an award-winning documentary, Gia is also a featured writer for Forbes, the co-host of the Speaking of Crime podcast, and the founder and fashion designer of Studio 15. Stay tuned through this episode, draw it, stay tuned through this conversation, drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to, and now, welcome Gia. Hi, so nice to talk to you. Yay, welcome to Thrive. I feel like this is such a unique conversation and unique perspective on going from surviving to thriving, one that takes really courage and conviction, pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) So without stealing any of your thunder, tell us about you and your story. Sure. Uh, I mean, you know, it's really um, not, not so much my story, but I, uh, but the people who make films about, I should say, Um, I was really passionate about wrongful conviction since I was young. Like when I was like 19 or 20 years old, I watched uh, that movie Hurricane with Denzel Washington. And I read the book that the movie is based on Ruben Carter's book called The 16th Round. And that book for anyone who hasn't read it is about this boxer in the 60s. And he was, you know, famous. He was a famous boxer and he got wrongfully convicted of a murder that he didn't commit. And, and then he wrote this book when he was in prison as kind of this last plea to the public of like, can anybody help me? Like I'm here in prison for something I didn't do. And, um, you know, he kind of felt like obviously everything was stacked against him and he had nowhere else to turn. And that book just really made an impact on me. I read it and I was like, it was my first introduction to the fact that this can even happen and that law enforcement can work against you instead of be protective and, you know, for you. And so it just kind of made a mark and, and I remembered it. And I remembered a lot of the words that he wrote in that book. And ever since then, I just had a real like soft spot for people who've been put in this position because it just felt like such a injustice. 
And then, you know, and then life happened and I worked in the fashion industry for 20 years and it was always in the back of my mind. And I watched a lot of true crime shows about wrongful convictions. I was, didn't know what I could do to help, but I was really passionate about the topic. And like most people, you're passionate about something. It could be anything, animal rights. It could be anything, human trafficking, but you're just one person and you don't really know what to do to help the bigger cause or the bigger problem. And that's how I felt. And then fast forward to, I think 2014 or 2015, the podcast serial came out and my husband came home one day and was like, you got to hear this podcast. And I wasn't into podcasts at the time. They were so new. Nobody was really listening to podcasts at the time. And uh, I said, nah, you know, I really am a visual person. I need to see the video and audio like movies. And so I said, no. And he goes, no, you should really hear it. It's a true crime story. It's about a Pakistani family. And I, that got me intrigued. And I said, okay, let's listen to one episode. And then like everybody else in the world, I got completely hooked, listened to, I think four episodes were out at that time. So I listened to all four that were available. And then, um, you know, I listened to the rest of Serial as it came out every Thursday. And at the end of it, I was really just bothered. I was like, this is entertaining and everything. It's a great story, but this is a real kid and he's sitting in jail still and he didn't do it. And frankly, you know, my family is also Pakistani and Adnan, who Cyril is about, reminded me a lot of my two brothers. I have two younger brothers that are his age. And so I felt like, you know, if, if this was my brother, I would want anybody to help, anybody that could. And I was already really passionate about wrongful convictions. And so I decided I would host a fundraiser for him here in New York. And I did that. And we raised a few thousand dollars and that was great to donate to his legal defense fund. And as a result, I ended up meeting his family. And at that fundraiser, I met Jeff, who was the speaker that we had at our fundraiser. And he also had a similar story. He was wrongfully convicted of a crime he didn't commit when he was 17 years old. And, and long story short, you know, fast forward, which I'll tell you about, I'm sure a little later, but I ended up going to film school and making a film about Jeff. And that's how I met Jeff. And that's the film conviction that's out on Amazon now. Amazing. So what you said, okay, you're interested in film for basically your entire life or not film, but wrongful convictions. And that kind of like started, got you to get you thinking about it. What actually kind of planted the seed where you were like, okay, I should switch careers from being in fashion to actually pursuing, like you said, you went to film school then. So what made, what made that decision come about? Because you spent two decades in a totally different industry, totally different industry, totally different everything. Well, it's so interesting because I, you know, I believe in, in paying attention to the universe and signs and things like that, you know, and I sound, you know, for some people it sounds, you know, all crazy, but, but I do. And the crazy thing is, is that, you know, the sequence of events was so interesting. My husband came home and said, listen to this podcast. I listened to it. I ended up doing the fundraiser. That's how I met Jeff, ended up meeting Adnan's family. And when I met his family, um, they let us know when Adnan had his post-conviction hearing, when they almost got his conviction overturned a few years ago. And so I went there uh, to, um, to Baltimore for that court hearing. And I was sitting in the court hearing and I met the family in person for, except for Robbie Chowdhury, I had met her before, but the rest of the family I met for the first time. And they were so warm and so welcoming and the sweetest people ever. I mean, to give you an example, I had a hotel room down the street and it's not a really safe area. Even when I checked into the hotel, the woman who checking me in was like, you're doing what? You're staying by yourself. Where are you going tomorrow morning? Because it was late at night when I got there. And she said, well, when you leave the hotel, walk right, but never go left. 
left. She goes, that's a bad neighborhood. And I was like, what? It's that bad that like, you're telling me not to walk to the left out of the front door. And so it was a little alarming. But anyways, I went in the morning. I walked to the courthouse. I went to the trial and um, or I should say the court case, not the trial. And um, the family, you know, said, let's you know, let's have it was two days or three days. I can't remember. But they said, you know, let's go for dinner. We went for dinner, said, where are you staying? And I told them as a hotel and they said, absolutely not. They were like, pack up your things. Let's go get your stuff. You're staying with us and literally took me, you know, home to stay with them. And I'd met them that day. It was just so, so sweet. Um, but at that that couple of days, there was a camera crew filming. And I noticed there was like three people. It was like a producer, a cameraman and maybe somebody else, maybe two people. And the family ended up telling us that they were filming a HBO documentary about Adnan's case. And I was totally naive and knew nothing about filmmaking. And I watched them doing this. And I thought, you know what? This is how I can reach a broader audience because people love watching movies and TV shows. And I thought two people are doing this. And I had a 20 year background of photography. So I knew my way around a camera. And so I thought all I need is two or three people. Like I can get two friends together to make a movie with me. If HBO is making it with three people, I mean, I can definitely get three people together, which is so silly in hindsight because there's hundreds of hundreds of people. There was only two people there that day. But, <laughs> but I went home and told my husband I wanted to do this. And, you know, we had a conversation, kind of talked it through and I enrolled into film school and I went to New York Film Academy and just started filming and started making the movie. Oh my goodness. So what did that process practically look like for you then switching careers entirely? Like what, like, okay, you make the decision. I'm going to go to film school. Walk us through what that actually looks like, because I'm sure there's people listening who are like, okay, sounds great. I would love to switch careers. Like I've got this dream on my heart, but they're like, I don't even know the first step after saying, Sounds great. Let's do it. Like, okay, then what? Yes. So I'll tell you exactly what I did. It was a little easier for me because I had just had my son and he was one. And so I was already on maternity leave and I had actually left my job and was just choosing to stay home with my son. So I wasn't even on a mat leave through work. I just chose to take a leave. And so I was already home. So I kind of didn't have that scare of losing my salary because my husband and I had already been accustomed to living on one salary for a little while because that was you know, what we had to do when we had my son. And so that, that made the, the next step a little easier. So first, I was already home. Secondly, I came home, I researched every single film school in New York that I could where I live. And I kind of made a spreadsheet and the pros and cons and who had programs and how long they were. And then I read reviews of the schools to see what other people had said. And then I looked for a daycare and I enrolled my son. I found the program I wanted to take. I applied. And then I found, you know, it was a workshop. It was only a few months long. And so then I enrolled my son into daycare for those exact hours. And then I would take him with me in the morning and drop him off at daycare and go to film school, pick him up and come home. And, you know, my husband was obviously a ton of help so that I could do this, but because it was a workshop and not a two-year program, I was able to fit it into my life. And I thought, you know, I'll learn as much as I can, and then I'll do it on the side, if not anything as a hobby and try and help people and at least give them a platform to share their voice, people who've been wrongfully convicted. But it kind of just took on a life of its own after that. I finished school, I made the film, and on towards the last week of school, one of the professors who at the time had a film in film festivals watched my last cut as part of an assignment. And he said, you need to submit this to festivals. He's like, this is great. And I had never been to a film festival, never didn't even know how to submit a film to a festival. And I took his advice. I thought he knows what he's talking about. He has a film that's doing really well. And so I submitted to festivals and he showed me how, and I took a, 
extracurricular class in the evening that they were giving at New York Film Academy that showed you how to submit to festivals and thus a film festival strategy, like coming up with a marketing strategy. So I did that and the film right away got into, in about 30 days, we were in three festivals and then it just kind of went on and on. And now we've been in 14 festivals. We've won three awards. Um, we just had a screening in Canada last two weeks ago. Um, it just kind of started taking on this life of its own. And I just kind of, you know, went along for the ride. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay. Real talk question, because I'm sure people are probably thinking this too. Did you have any connections in the film industry before you, before you just dove right into it? Absolutely zero, zero. And I still don't really, I know maybe a couple of people that I've met in the process, like networking at film festivals or taking online webinars and such. Um, well, obviously the pandemic hit and we were all sitting at home. So I took as many webinars as I could and I met people that way, um, but no, none, absolutely zero. I love that because that's so, I hope that that's encouraging for people who are in a similar position of having no connections where your first thought might be, I can't do it because I don't have an in, or I don't have, I don't know anybody, especially in a, in an industry like film where people might think that that's an important thing to have ahead of time. I think that's really encouraging that you actually don't (laughs) and you still were able to make it and forge your own path and win awards and do incredible things with your work. You know, having this like in, in the industry, it would be so helpful to have an in. I I wish I had one. And yes, that would accelerate things for sure, but you can make your own ins. I mean, you can't just network. And like I found, for example, I had, um, a lot of experience um, working behind the camera, you know, because I had done that already in my career in the past. And I also write for a lot of publications. And so I was able to add value for other people. And like that, I, th- I would say that's the first step is ask people how you can help them. And if I was writing an article that pertained to the work they did, I would ask them for a quote or to give me some tips that I could include in the article, which in turn helps them and build those relationships. And, you know, then they will help you, you know? And so it was like a give, give, give whatever you can at first and build Build genuine connections and you can build those ends. And when, when you're a helpful person, people want to help you. And you know, that really works in your favor to kind of fast track this. If you're going to change industries, that would be my, my biggest advice. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I'll figure out where you can add value for other people, help them show up to serve them in a very genuine way. And you're right. It's kind of that you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of attitude. It, it, people yeah. feel subconsciously and psychologically indebted to you if you have helped them in some way. So you automatically have a little bit of favor with people where they're a little more willing to help you out or see where they can help you in return. Yeah. And they'll remember you. They're going to say, you know, when I needed something, I went to Gia, you know, and so next time they need something to be like, last time she was able to help me with this. And that, you know, you just build a a genuine connection with people that way. Mm -hmm. That's such good advice. Is there anything that you wish you would have known when you were considering switching careers that you think would have made the transition maybe smoother or better or just a bit easier along the way? You know, um, I'm sure there's lots of things, but off the top of my head, um, the one thing that really, when my film got into the first few festivals and then it takes a while, like a few weeks or months, you know, before they actually have the screening. So my very first screening was supposed to be at the film uh, anthology film archives in Lower East Side in New York and I was like what are the chances it's my first movie it's a career change and I'm gonna play at this theater at like the film archives in, in New York I was over the moon I was like this couldn't have went better and then one week before my screening the pandemic hit 
all theaters got shut down, the screening got canceled. And then after that, every screening got canceled, just every single one. And I was like, first I was like over the moon, like what great, you know, luck I have or whatever. And then I was like, what terrible luck I have. Like you make a movie, it's impossible. Less than 1% of films get into film festivals. So I was like, I got into that 1% of films and all of my screenings got canceled. Like what horrible luck I have. And I was, you know, feeling bad for myself. And then I, you know, I'm such a type A personality. I was like, I can't sit home and do nothing at the beginning of the pandemic when we were all quarantined. And so I started to look online and I found that every, it's not every, but so many filmmakers and so many people in the industry were feeling the same way that they were all doing these like free classes, chats, like all these uh, webinars online. So I joined, you're going to laugh at me, but I took like 45 of them in the first like 60 days. I took one almost every second day, anywhere I could with anybody who was, you know, prominent in the industry. And my advice would be when I was feeling bad for myself, I was feeling like, oh, it's all for nothing now. But we're so connected in today's day and age in a way that we could never connect before. There's no way, like, for example, you know, that show, Rami? Uh, it, well, it, it was a it's a really popular show on TV. Okay, he, the star of the show, did a webinar, and I joined it. And because it was during the beginning of the pandemic, and there was many many other people in the industry like this that did it, um, you were able to connect with them in such a small group. Like there were just thirty people on the call, or twenty people. People didn't even know people were doing these things in the beginning. And so I would say use the fact that we have the internet and access to everyone and not just the people in your own city in your vicinity and connect with anyone and everyone you can because we have the ability to do so and it doesn't have to be in person you can make the same connections working you know at home behind your computer and that really really helped me on one of those calls is how i learned how to pitch my film get it on amazon uh, you know i wouldn't have known how to otherwise so it just it was invaluable but uh, that's not how I was feeling initially. <laughs> that's such good advice too, though, on adapting and pivoting when things are not going your way, because you could have absolutely just thrown your hands up in the air and said, this is like you said, you believe in signs. Like you could have said, this is a sign from the universe that this is not meant to be. I should have stayed in fashion. What am I doing with my life? This is a mistake. I quit. And what would have happened? Yeah, you're <laughs> like, right. you, We literally wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So I think that's really solid advice that people should mentally highlight, underline, whatever. When, if you were in a position like that though, where you're in this more intimate setting with someone who might be more prominent in the industry, someone where maybe your first thought is not, here's all of these skills that I can provide for you or help you out. Or maybe you just don't want to seem like you're kissing up to somebody or you want to yes. make an impression and connect, but you want it to be genuine and not feel like you're desperately trying to get to use them at all, especially yeah. how do you think, or what would be your advice for people to make that genuine connection and have some sort of authentic touch point that may be beneficial, but doesn't come across in a weird or sleazy or gross kind of way. You know, yeah, that's really interesting that you said that because when I was in the beginning, when I was joining all these calls and whatnot, I didn't connect with anybody one-on-one -on -one and offer anything. Uh, in the group setting, when people would say, everyone share your social or everybody, whatever, I would just write in there that I'm a documentary filmmaker and a writer and I'm in New York. Anybody wants to connect, you know, here's my Instagram. And certain people, just a few people, every call would connect. And those are the people that I would go on to talk to further. So you know, it has to be a, someone else is also looking to connect with other people. And so you have to find 
those people. So by no means was I like, and I'm not a very, um, uh, what's a extrovert, I'm not. And so I would, didn't go talk to anyone individually, even on the chats or anything and say, you know, I want to connect with you at all. Because I mean, I wish I had the personality to do that because I would probably go further, but I don't. I would just write in there and say, you know, uh, I live in New York and I'm from Canada and, you know, I'm a writer and I this is my first film and would love to connect with anyone else who's working on something or or, you know, wants to help each other out. And then a few people would reach out to me and then I would, you know, talk to them about their work and what they do. So it was very uh, organic is what I should say. That's awesome. Okay, so the time has finally come. Talk to us about your award-winning debut documentary, (laughs) Conviction. Yeah, sure. So it is about Jeffrey Deskovic. He was a 16-year-old kid in Peekskill High School in New York. And it was like a really safe town. I think they didn't have any major crime, no homicides for I think two decades. So it was like, this stuff didn't happen there. And um, unfortunately, one day a girl at school went out to take photos for a photography class and she never returned. And she was raped and murdered. And when the detectives came to question the students at school, because obviously that's where she, you know, was seen recently and that's who knew her they some of the kids at school and I I hate this so much it's so unfortunate some of the kids at school said you should look into Jeff because Jeff Jeff is an awkward quiet kid and that was like his only you know there was only reason for them to point the finger at Jeff and the detectives who should have done a much better job at their job um went ahead and interviewed Jeff and then they literally groomed him over the next month or so to told him details of the crime because he didn't do it you know he didn't know anything about it but Jeff had wanted to be a police officer in his when he was older and so they kind of used that to their advantage and said you can help us with this why don't you help us do the investigation and in a way that they did that to manipulate him and in the end they convicted him of the crime and he went to jail to a max security adult prison for something he didn't do and um i won't you know tell you the rest of the story but that's what the film is about wow so then what ended up happening is he (laughs) i'm not going to tell you the end (laughs) okay so everyone has to go watch conviction now because now this is obviously very intriguing (laughs) that's crazy so and you literally first met him when you were connecting with Anand's family. Yeah. When I was planning that fundraiser for Anand, I had actually reached out to Anand's family originally and no one wrote me back. And of course, like serial blew up. I'm sure they were getting thousands of emails. And I was like, who am I? I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a detective. I was just somebody saying, Hey, can I, is there any way I can help you? You know? And nobody wrote me back. And then I realized, you know, I was really passionate about it. And I felt really strongly about Anand. And I thought, you know, I don't need the family to reach out to me in order for me to do something I can do something on my own and so I (laughs) there was a woman on Twitter I had followed uh, Rabia who brought the story to Serial who brought a non-story to Serial I had followed her on Twitter ever since I listened to Serial and I kept noticing there was a woman who was kind of writing very similar things I was I would write hey Rabia I'm in New York like let me know if you're ever here how I can help and then one day I saw she wrote the same thing "Uh, hey I'm in New York please tell me how I can help and I was like oh she's in New York who is this person her name is Marion and so I just wrote her separately on Twitter and said hey I saw your tweet and I'm also in New York and I'm thinking of planning a fundraiser or doing something to help would you want to do it with me and it's so funny because she's one of my closest friends today because it's been years it's been four years five years since no 
oh my God, it's been six years since we did that, I think. And uh, she said, we met for coffee. And after we got to know each other, she told me, she's like, I thought you were a psychopath. She's like, I Googled you. Thank God I had somewhat of a Google presence because she's like, I determined that maybe you're not crazy. And so she said, <laughs> coffee. <laughs> and then she met me for coffee and we just got along so well. And then her and I planned this fundraiser together and she's a musician. And so we decided we would do... Um, uh, show with music and sell tickets and I designed the free Adnan shirts because I had a fashion brand and so I was able to do that um, and I think we were the first ones to design those shirts I think that's where they started and now they're you know everywhere but um, anyways we did this fundraiser and then that's how I met Jeff because Marion said we should have a speaker because neither of us are experts in wrongful conviction and I said great idea and she's like I know a guy I met him at a party and he has a very similar story to Adnan and do you want to meet him and I said yes and that ended up being Jeff and that's how I met him. Wow what a crazy turn of events that turned into something huge for you yeah. and for Jeff too I'm sure. Oh yeah I mean Jeff he loves it he's gotten you know press and speaking engagements and all kinds of stuff because of it and so yeah he loves it and now we're working on the feature length documentary so the one that's on Amazon is a short it's like episodic it's 22 minutes um, but now we're working on the feature length film so it's gonna be an hour and a half and it really goes much deeper into what went wrong and how like false confessions work and why people confess to a murder they didn't commit or any horrific crime they didn't commit and why there was DNA available in Jeff's case but the DA's office wouldn't approve getting it tested and so like why does that happen if his the DNA had been tested Jeff could have gotten out I think like eight or ten years earlier and he would have saved so much uh, time on his sentence, but they refuse the testing, which, you know, why does that happen? So we go much deeper into the justice system and what went wrong. Wow. So then when does that come out and where can people catch that? So the short is on Amazon. And so they can watch it there. It's called Conviction. Um, the feature length we're still working on. So I don't have a release date for it. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, the prisons are shut down. So we can't finish our last couple of shoots. So we've been trying to work around that to see if we can license footage or something to get the film finished because we're at the very end stages, but we've kind of been at, on a standstill for a little while now because of COVID. For sure. For sure. Well, do you know if that will also be on Amazon or is that going to be on a different platform? Probably a different platform. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know yet for sure. Okay. Depends on Amazing. distribution, but I will definitely tell you. <laughs> Please do because I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Well, Gia, in wrapping things up, I want to ask you something we ask all guests on Thrive, and that is what does Thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your own everyday life? Mm, these on the spot questions are always so tough. <laughs> um, I would think to thrive, I mean, it means to do the best that you can with what you have. And uh, how do I strive to thrive? Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I have uh have such a type a personality i mean anything that i decide to take on i really i mean really just attack it <laughs> it's like to-do lists are my best friends and uh, that's what i do is i make long to-do lists and many spreadsheets and really just get after things um that's that's never been an issue for me that's kind of where where i thrive <laughs> is in that environment uh, so that's what i do amazing i can totally relate <laughs> Tell everybody where they can find you online to connect with you more. Yes. My website is just my full name. It's giawertz.com and that's Gia with a J and on Instagram, it's Gia docs, D O C S. And um, on Facebook, you can find the documentary under conviction documentary. 
Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.